You bow your heads, please. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to sing out. We acknowledge that this world order uh, desires to defame your name in all of our hearts. And Lord, it is so fitting that we can come together and sing truth and remind ourselves of who you are and who we are in Christ. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord. We pray for our brothers and sisters in lands where the gospel can't be preached or there's persecution, even death. We recognize this grace we have. We recognize the stewardship to make you know because you've given us the freedom here to make you know. And we pray that you even strengthen the brothers and sisters who are making you known in places where it would cost them their life. Lord, use this time as we open up your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us and through us. Lord, we pray that you would use this time to honor Christ. Lord, don't allow us to leave here the same way we came. We pray that you would do a work in our hearts. And would you use me, O gracious King, to speak to your people. May you be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, family. May we just honor and encourage our our worship team as they have led us this morning. Amen. All right, we have a lot to uh, we have a lot to talk about, so we're going to jump right in. All right, family. So if you can, if you got Bibles, you can see them in, the front, in your front pews. Um, if not, you, it's also they're going to be it's going to be on the screen as well. Um, you can use your phones. Just don't be texting. Make sure you're looking at the Bible. Um, you know how it is. Uh, our time has been about, if you are new to our local community, uh, we, we go through books of the Bible, uh, and uh, during this time, uh, we've taken our time of Lent uh, to really kind of just uh, recalibrate our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus in the sense that we, we, we stopped our time in Second Thessalonians to focus on, on the I Am passages in, in the scriptures, there's seven of them, and so we've gone through all of them, and we're ending today on a very fitting note, I Am the Resurrection and the Life, praise God. So uh, that's what we, are, we will be talking about today. Um, and, you know, we had to rework things a little bit because you know that if you know your, your Bible at all, that the resurrection of life is like in the middle of the seven. So we had to hook things up and go back. So thanks for that grace um, as we are just trying to embrace what it means when we talk about Jesus, who he is, uh, what he's been about in his world. Um, and what I want to propose to you as we're going through the text family is the, the, the resurrection when you really contemplate what the resurrection means, it, it basically is supposed to reshape your life. Okay? So as we jump in, I just want to make that clear. And, and so what, what God does is, is in a resurrection, I want to make kind of three brick broad statements. And we're going to see a lot of different things in the text. But I think there's three main pieces I want you just to continue to contemplate and just think in your heart. Like, Lord, as I think of the resurrection of who Jesus is, or even if you're not a believer, what the Christian claims. And then see, like, see for yourself. Look at the evidence. Uh, and that is, uh, he, addresses, um, he addresses, as it were, Jesus addresses. And kind of what he, what he does and as he's addressing he redeems your past, right? That the resurrection does a healing. It's a great, you know, ointment that it covers all of the junk in our lives. And if, am I the only one who got junk? <laughs> am I the only one who needs some covering? Am I the only one who needs someone to say, you still cool. I got you. Am I, it, it, see, the good news is that 
the Bible is about a good God and bad people. And then that good God didn't just destroy us, but he loved us. So, so first what you're going to see is that he addresses and redeems our past. Um, but then also what he does is he, he provides us with a, a, a present meaning. What I mean by that is I say sometimes as a believer, I think the scariest thing for me when I became a Christian, maybe y'all, y'all was feeling like me. I was so nervous because I thought, oh, my goodness, I was so used to being my own God. If I become a Christian, my life going to be over. It's going to be boring and stuff. We read my Bible all the time. Can't go nowhere. Can't go out nowhere. Can't, you know, I just had this, this mindset that literally life as I knew it would stop. And, oh, boy, at least I'll go to heaven one day. Right. Can I tell you something, family? That is an absolute lie. May I propose to you that if you're not a believer, and I say this with, 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 with humility not to dog you at all, but you haven't really lived life yet. The Bible says it. I'm a testimony of that. There's many testimonies in here. I want to implore you that you haven't really lived life yet. And I hope, hope the text will sort of prove that. And then what the, the Bible teaches us is that uh, he redeems your past. He, he gives us a present uh, reality to, to know that we can embrace and enjoy. But then he, he really points us and he pushes us toward a future hope. Okay, that, that there's something that we can long for too that's promised for us. So let's jump right in. I want us to look at the text a lot of texts come and you to stay with me now. Okay, we do a lot of Bible gymnastics today. All right, so y'all been working out. Do all right? And, and, and you know, we family. So um, if you need to, just kind of give me the one finger and I have a stand up and stretch. Okay, guys? All right, but we're going to jump in here and I want you to stick with me because um, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of stuff, but only God can allow us to understand this stuff. And we, we acknowledge that, Lord. We acknowledge that you need to reveal this stuff to us. We're not smart enough to get it. So we're jumping right in. Chapter 11 of John. You can open up in your Bibles. We enter a story that speaks to these issues and more. And what I want to propose to you is, you know, throughout my uh, 11 years here, we've always done the, we've done passages that focus directly on the, re- on the resurrection of what Jesus does at his resurrection. Today is the first time I've ever done passage on Easter Sunday that's different than Jesus actually being risen from the dead. But the reason why I'm doing it, well, first and foremost, because our, our, our theme is I am versus, so I kind of had to do it. But also... Because I want to show you something what the Bible does is the Bible does some really cool deductive and inductive reasoning as you're reading the scriptures as a as a student. OK, and as many times what's happening is God is taking you through the Bible and you're kind of discovering for yourself. Like, wow, I didn't know that. This is what I learned about Jesus now. And so your 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 understanding of Christ continues to increase. But the Bible does something else. The author is doing something when he when he gives you the resurrection as you're reading your Bible and you begin to see the culmination of human humanity and what God has done. You know, he's doing something else else he begins to kind of replace all your bad thinking about what you already read do you understand what i'm saying he begins to insert truth that now has become clear because of the resurrection now you, you see i'm old school i've mentioned this before there's a movie that i, I and you guys got to see it someday it's called uh, i think six cents Okay, and I always talk about this because I think it's a perfect example. And you know what tripped me out about that movie? You're watching the movie and stuff, and you're all like, it's all crazy and stuff, and I don't want to get all into it. But then, and you're thinking you're getting the movie, but there's parts you're just like, I don't understand what's going on here. I don't understand what's going on here, but you're still liking it, and you're watching it. And you, but there's pieces that you still aren't really getting. And because I'm getting older, i got to find a new movie because people don't even know this one. <laughs> so maybe, you know, <laughs> got to do my work. But that's all right. Y'all, I think you all get the, the point. So get to the end of the movie. The guy who's been all the way throughout the movie talking and doing stuff, you find out he's always been dead. Right? 
and his, he was a ghost. Now, don't, now we don't believe in all that now. If you, so, so there's a movie. Okay, Hollywood. All right, don't be emailing me. That bad doctrine, Eric. Okay, so, but what was interesting to me, when you find that out, what does it do to you? You go, oh, now I get why this happened. Oh, now I understand what was going on here. Oh, now I see why he did that. She did that. You see what I'm saying? It begins to inform you. Well, I want to propose as you read John 11, God is doing two things. He's kind of doing inductive where we're, we're just, Jesus is, is helping us understand who he is, as it were, and you're growing in your understanding of who he is. And then for those who, who actually understand this, right, they're going to go back and it's going to inform them. So hopefully you'll be able to take the resurrection as we know it and as you see it and kind of be doing that, that theological work, that study of God work to really help complete a beautiful fabric, a quilt that really proclaims and helps you understand the gospel. Okay. All right. Verse one. So now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his, her sister, Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord, so everyone knows she is, with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, uh, whose brother Lazarus was, uh, was ill. So it's her bro. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Okay. Now, so just paint the picture a little bit here. You got the scene, right, where these guys have been ministering. Jesus has been out ministering. Um, uh, and all of a sudden, he, he, when, when he, he, he's ministering outside of Jerusalem, and he kind of builds a relationship with his family, okay? And this is kind of Jesus' third place, okay? The picture is one where this is, this is fam. This, this is his crew. Lazarus is his boy, right? They are friends. They love each other. I mean, they, these guys are in an inner circle with Jesus from a, from a familial perspective, from a family perspective, okay? We're talking deep relationship. We're not talking acquaintances. We're talking deep relationship here, okay? Um, in fact, the author gives you that Mary, just, you know, just the lady, remember when the lady who wiped the feet with his tears, she wants you, they want, the author wants you to get a picture of the intimacy here. And so Jesus uh, is ministering outside Jerusalem at this time, Perea, okay? And, and Lazarus gets super sick in fact so they send a messenger actually it seems like and 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 i get it to kind of manipulate jesus they're they're scared is their boy they're like look um hey the one you love (laughs) you love this dude he's sick you need to come help him now think about this in history i want us to picture this think about someone who's well then gets sick and gets sick so so sick where someone's asking for Jesus, come, can you do something? I'm, well, my point is, this had to be kind of a, a violent sickness. I mean, because you can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, think, I mean, I don't, I don't know, I mean, I just think about my kids, I think about my journey. Uh, there's one thing that had a flu, but when someone moves from sick to what we're about to experience here, I want you to get the picture of what that would have looked like. Verse 4. So, he's really sick. The, the, the ladies are scared, obviously. They're thinking it's something more than just a common cold or whatever. And they're like, guess what? They send a guy. You know when you know somebody, you, you're really scared? Guess how long he had to go? Two days. His journey was two days to get Jesus. <laughs> okay? So, so this is serious sickness. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, so they come to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus wants you to know Lazarus. They know he's one of your best friends. He's sick. He's He's struggling. Jesus heard it. This illness does not lead to death. 
It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So they, the guy leaves, right? Goes back. I propose to you it's a two day journey goes back two days. I'm proposing to you that um, probably they the messenger probably told told the ladies that message. Is that fair? He got back before Jesus came, right? And and Lazarus, as it were, wasn't wasn't necessarily dead yet. Maybe he, he was on his way, but they probably she probably probably told him this. And and so think about that. Hey. I know he's looking sick. He's looking worse. The guy messenger comes up. Hey, Jesus said, though, this won't lead to death. <laughs> How would you feel? Think about it. Your, your child's sick. You have a friend you really love. We have doctors in here that have helped our kids. I mean, I mean, you know how many hookups I got because of Matthew and, and Nate and all these guys, you know, saved us thousands of dollars because we just say, hey, Matt, man, you hook me up. Come on over, bro. Right. And they come over. And when they say something, even though they're not God, even though they're, fa- they're, they're frail people, as a doctor, don't you feel a little better? Right? When he says, well, I think it's going to be okay. You go, huh. He's looking kind of bad, but, but my man says he's okay. Imagine when Jesus says, hey, this is not sickness that's going to lead to death. Okay, so they're like, okay. It seems weird, though. It seems he's convulsions of... I've never seen anything like this, but Jesus, okay. Now, this is interesting. Jesus says, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And you know, at moments like this, your theology get kind of wacky, right? So I'm proposing to you, they weren't deep enough at that moment to be understanding what that meant. Okay? There's no paradigm for this. So then, now this is deep to me. Verse 5. Check this out. Don't miss this. In your Bibles, you might underline it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay, so the, the, grammar, the grammar here is the motivation for the next statement is because of his love for them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You see that? He said, because I love him. As it were, I'm going to stay. The author connects his love for Lazarus actually to him not coming. He let him die. Can I ask you a question, family? This is a side note. How do you know that God loves you? Hmm. How do you know that God loves you? May I propose to you that the world tells us that, man, we tell ourselves every day that we can, we can determine the love of people. As it were, we can determine the love of God by how much wealth he gives us and, and how much health he brings and how much external happiness we receive. And if that is the case, then Jesus hated Paul. We see God's love as almost like a cosmic gift basket. You know, we just go in there. Oh, look at the little fruit. Oh, you know, he's so loving. Look at all the stuff he gives us. As soon as he doesn't give us what we want, or may I say, no, we have a little more stamina than that. When he doesn't give us what I want six times in a row, right? Because we'll take one, though, like a spoiled kid. Okay, you've been blessing me, so you can say no this time, Papa. Right? You can say, you can, you know what? It's Easter. You can say no twice. But you keep denying me, and now I'm going, man, do you really love me? Right? 
Look what God says. John 3.16, famous verse, parse it out. It says, but here's what God's love is. I want to propose that's a lie, guys. We've got to renew our minds. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How did he show his love? By giving us Jesus, right? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have whatever lasting life, eternal life. It seems that the Bible teaches something different, fam. And this is hard for us, that God's love is the gift of eternal life at the cost of his son. Well, let's parse that out. What is eternal life? John 17, 3. Look at John 17, 3, family. It says, this is eternal life. That you may know that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You go, man, that is not what I was hoping for. All right. That the essence of eternal life, the essence of love, when you think, does God love me? You know what he wants you to say? Yes, because I gave you myself. Because I gave you Jesus. May I ask you a question? You know what's hard about that family, if we can be honest? The gospel brings you and I to a point where we really have to ask ourselves, if Jesus is the treasure, if Jesus is what God has given us, if Jesus is the determinant factor of his love for us, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? It's hard, right? But it, 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 is, it is truth, and I want us to pause and I think about it. Is Jesus enough? Well, they got to they work through this. Look at this, verse 7. It says, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again, right? The disciples said to him, Rabbi, we're in verse 8, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? They were just in that place, and, and, they, and Jesus almost got killed, okay? They almost stoned Jesus, so they left. That's why they're ministering the outskirts right now. So the disciples like, you my boy, I love you, but you remember what happened? We almost took a beat down. We almost took an L. So you want to go back? Are you going there again? They asked. Verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Verse 10. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. Okay, this is where I'm going, guys. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. He's cool. Right? They say, they're like, look, you know, that's how it is, man. You get sick, you take some Diamond Tap, you know what I'm saying? You take some NyQuil, you go, go to sleep, you know, you wake up, you feel a little better. You know, that's, why are you, why are you tripping? Like, why can't Lazarus just get better like the rest of us? Jesus frustrated, verse 13, I propose to you. He says, now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he, was mean, he, meant, he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, y'all. He's dead. Verse 15, and for your sake, I need, I need to do this. I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, all right, uh, I, I respect you. You're my leader. I think this is kind of dumb. Let us also go that we may die with him because they tried to kill you. So I'm sure we're about to die. So the disciples not even worried about Lazarus. They're thinking, man, if we go to this place, we're going to get killed. But at least, you know, I got to respect my brother. At least he was willing to go. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had, had already been in the tomb for four days, okay? So, you, so you, you do the math. He's been in the tomb for four days. So he's been dead. Takes two-day journey uh, to, to get there, right? He stayed for two more days, right? So that's where you get to your kind of four days, okay, guys? 
It says, uh, Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house, which is very interesting, because you know throughout the scriptures, uh, like Martha's usually the more chill one, Mary's the one that's kind of off the chain, you know, not, but now, Martha's like, okay, she runs out. And, and just to paint a picture here, uh, in, 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 in the first century, as you put your, your first century Jewish glasses on, you got to keep in mind, when people die, funerals are a big deal. Okay, they, they had like professional mourners. They, had, they would literally have people they would hire to kind of, basically they would just mourn because it was that serious. They wanted to grieve and they would have a 30-day period of like mourning. Right? This was, a, this was a big deal. And so imagine Jesus is coming in on a precipice of that. People crying, everyone's crying, all the pe- family members, the whole city's there, everyone's sobbing. It is, it is mayhem. And you got to keep in mind, can you pause something family real quick with me? Remember the context. They got a message or even thought, man, Jesus is going to heal him or he's going to get better. The context was, we are boys. We're friends. Right? The context is Mary and Martha... Guys, the person was well, got sick, and died. I want to propose to you that must have been pretty intense watching your brother go from life to death, practically. Imagine that. There's nothing you can do. This is the context. So everyone's joining this funeral procession. And, here, and here's what the author does here, family. The author gives us a sense of, of, the, uh, of the emotion here. And he wants us to see, actually, this, uh, the lack of faith. And he gives us three kind of instances of the lack of faith here. Look at verse 21. The scriptures read, so, so Mary's still seated at the house, still probably bawling, crying. Martha gets up. It says, Martha said to Jesus, first word, she gets up to Jesus. He, 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 guys, he hadn't even made it into the town yet. She met him. She came. She met him outside. Okay. So he's still trying to get to the place. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Imagine that. She's hurt. She sees him. I'm I'm sure she's already crying. But then you ever be like hurt, right? And you crying. And then like the person or the scenario that actually got you hurt comes right before you. (laughs) Have you ever had that happen? (laughs) What does it do? It makes you, you probably cry more. You probably get more, now you see Jesus, you probably, you probably was crying and sad, but now he's like right there. And you're like, dude. So she maybe barely could talk. She's frustrated. Where were you? She says. You know what? I, I look at this passage. I had to pause. I'm like, man, I wonder how many of us in this room, how many times in my life, you know, where I feel like that. I feel like, man, Lord, where are you in this? Where were you? Many times as, I, as I've done ministry, I see, I, I see a couple of things. I see two things in particular that happens to people a lot of times. People either think God can't love me, right? Uh, because of all the junk that's in my life or the things I've done. And they won't say that, but practically they'll live life like that. You know what? I'm just, I'm just unreachable. Or... They'll think God can't be loving. If this thing happened to me, how could God be loving? If I've gone through this, 
How could God be loving? If God let this atrocity happen to my family, happen to my daughter, happen to my son, how could God be loving? Maybe there's someone like here, like that today here. Can I propose to you, you're looking at Martha and Mary right now, you know, they come to her. If my, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You know what I want to say at that moment? At that moment, she's saying, you know what, Jesus, there's something you can't do. You see that? She didn't, she didn't come up to him and say, raise him from the dead. Right? First thing she said, man, he wouldn't have died. Jesus looking like, <laughs> you don't know? Can I say to you, family, the world, the world, for you and me, the world always, you're going to leave here and in 20 minutes, the world is going to have an event and things in your life. And you're going to go to work and you're going to go to school and you're going to go to places and the world is going to continue to try to shrink your understanding of Christ. He's going to shrink your Jesus. And that's what happens. So, what, what, so that's why we have community and that's why we do Bible studies and that's why we have one-on-ones and, and we have church because the world always throughout the week is like, your Jesus ain't big enough. Your Jesus is not big enough. You got to be your own God. Your Jesus is not big enough. Your Jesus is not big enough. Oh, he don't care about what happened in Georgia. Oh, he don't care about these things. He don't care about those things. He doesn't care about this. Right? That, that's what happens. And then you start hearing that over and over and over and again. You just go, well, maybe he's not big enough. Maybe he's not on the throne. Yeah, well, all these men, maybe... Uh, trying to shrink our Christ. Right? Oh, well, maybe popularity is more than Jesus. Maybe, and you start grabbing onto these plastic pearls because you think those are the ones that are going to give you significance. Those are the things that's going to keep you. Don't fall for it, fam. Don't fall for it. Verse 22. But even now, check this out. So I'm going to propose to you, she has weak faith. You might say, well, look, Eric, verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Right? That seems like she has strong faith. I want to save my perspective toward the end because I think she gets exposed later. Okay? Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, oh, yeah, she got deep on it, right? Are we doing theology, Jesus? Okay. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You know, I've been reading my Bible. I get it. Right? Look what Jesus says to her. This is those moments where I told you, right? He says this here, but you kind of, what does all that really mean? And then you get to what happened on Easter, and it all starts to make sense, right? He says, so as it were, verse 23 might as well be Luke 24. He says, no, you see, you don't get it. See, I don't just resurrect people. I am the resurrection. See that? He says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. See, Jesus, Jesus was saying right here in a nutshell, hey, you you don't understand that what's happening at the end of the age, what what you've been wanting to have happen as a Jew for for, for millennials, at the end of the age of of God raising his people and him raising and and, and conquering and being the the reigning sovereign king, what you thought was going to happen way down there someday, I'm telling you it's happening right here, right now in your hearing. Do you hear me? Right now it's happening is what he's saying. He's saying that the resurrection, what it's done is it's, it literally knocked down, it kicked down the door of the present reality and stepped in to our reality and said, what's going to happen is actually happening now because of 
himself because of Jesus. And I love it. He says, I got something for everybody. I love how he, how, how he phrases this here. I got something for Lazarus. He said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Dead people, I'm going to do something for you. Hey, guess what? I got something for the live people. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha and Mary, I got something for you too. I got something for all y'all. You see what he's saying? The resurrection is for everybody. This is where I would, I would pause. If you're in your Bible, I'll just put pause and just think about what he means when he says that. He, he said, Mary, I'm the only solution here. Then he says, do you believe this? Verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Verse 28. When she said, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. So let me go get Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Right. So, 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 so Jesus looking around thinking, okay, Lazarus dead. I get where he at. See you. Where's Mary? You know, I'm in town. <laughs> right. The teacher's here calling for you, verse 29. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him as if she didn't know or something. She knew when Martha left the crib. But can I propose to you? Man, she was hurt. Can I propose to you? They're like, Jesus is here. And Martha's like, man, I'm going to tell him a piece of my mind. And Martha's so broken, like, man. So I said, okay, I'm rise, come and go, go see what's up. Verse, verse 30. Now, Jesus had not come yet to the village. Still ain't in the village. It's still out of town. But was still in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. You see what I'm saying? She was still crying. <laughs> she was still weeping. So they're like, oh, we, are we, are we, going, we about to go somewhere else and cry? Right? So they, they, they follow her. Let's go. Where are we going? Because this is crazy. I can't believe this happened to us. Right? So they didn't even know what was up. So you got people following her. You got the crowd. You got her. She's crying. And it says again, verse, verse 32, look what happens. First words. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see that? In the scriptures, in the scriptures read here. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, they're all crying. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And this, this deeply moved, these, these Greek words here, guys, is like this shaken, uh, agitated. It's like it's almost like angry. It's like angry. May I propose? Uh, so there's many reasons why Jesus was angry. Uh, it's interesting. I'm trying to figure this out, guys. Because, so Jesus knew, he knows the enemy, death is one of his enemies. He knew that he was going to allow Lazarus to die to, to exalt himself. Right? So I think there's something in there about grieving the reality of, of death. And like, well, here's what happens now. There's a finality. There's, there's this, this thing that people are experiencing because of the fall. But can I also propose to you, I know other theologians would, would agree, I just think he was just mad of their lack of faith, too. I think, I think there was a lot of emotion going on here. I think he was, I think he was sad because of what, what, what death was doing, as it were. I think he was sad and, ag- and angry that his, his friends, his, his, his homeboys, girls, were, were frustrated with him. And I think he was kind of frustrated with that and angry. But I also think he was just like, man, all y'all just walking up on me and 
blaming. Like, and we've been through it. See, the first time they met Jesus, they see miracles. <laughs> right? I wonder if it's all that. As it were, guys, if you take all three of those reasons, he's deeply troubled. He's agitated. He's like, man, deeply moving. It says in verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And he weeps. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? Wow. Man. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eye of the blind? This is the third. I told you three acts of, of a lack of faith. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You see the scriptures there, guys? Then Jesus deeply moved again. He's like, man, they're talking about me. Right? You got one crew who's kind of like, probably trying to think a little more accurately. Like, man, he loved this brother. You can see crying and stuff. He's sad. And another crew like, whatever. Like, yeah, he's supposed to be all that. You know what I'm saying? Look at him now. Jesus is like, man, what's going on? Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against the tomb, guys. Jesus said, take away the stone. Here's where I would propose to you. Look what Martha says. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He has been dead for four days. See? And may I propose to you why he did four days, too? Because, you know what? you know, when you, when you, you know what, it, he want, I, I propose that he really wanted people to understand something, that, that Lazarus was really dead. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I, I propose to you, the author wanted us to understand that too. And that's why he makes it, he, he shows us the natural reality. Sometimes I think we think when Jesus rise from the dead and or when he rose, when he allowed others to rise from the dead, that they were just people like us in a sense and nothing really decayed. Like they were, like almost they were like undead people. They just went to sleep and God kind of preserved the body for the day he would rise them, make them real. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. People died and was decaying. Jesus, imagine Jesus, when, he went, when they took his body, he was flies on them. You know, imagine, imagine nasty, wounds all beat up. Okay, we're talking mutilation. She says, this, this brother didn't have a cut on him. And he was smelling. Can you imagine Jesus' body? A day after? Okay. So they, just that picture of like, they like, look, it's thinking there. That's a dead body. And Jesus is like, that's my point. I'm going to show you something. And so you think about it. You, 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 you think he's something. I put here, you know, you, 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 beat, you, beat a, you beat a teacher, you beat Jesus up, you know, with a cat of nine tails and stripping his flesh. And you give him 39 strokes and then you nail him to a cross and you hang him in the sun, hang him in the sun for six hours with all those bruises and nasty stuff. And then you, you run a spear through him. And you embalm him and you put him in an airless tomb for three days. How do you think that brother going to smell? She lacks faith. But you know what I love about this passage? I'm going to land a plank. I know I got two things to say. So stick with me, guys. Do we need to, step, do, we need to do a jumping jack or something? Y'all all right? Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's, a, it's a one day I get to really, really do my thing and preach. I apologize every week by, by cheating and still speaking a lot. But this one, I feel like I get to go longer because it's the resurrection. All right. All right. Thank you, sis. But you know what I love about this text here, family? And hear me here, because I, I love this. She's, she's, she's lacking faith. 
And, and her, and, and her worldview wouldn't even allow her to see what she's supposed to see. It was too small. Maybe some of us got that kind of worldview. Our Jesus small. But as big as her devotion was, she couldn't see it. But you know what? As wrong as she was, as, as wrong as she was, he didn't destroy her. He didn't go, you don't remember all that stuff I did for you? You don't remember last week when I did this? You don't remember when we fed those people? You don't remember the times when you, you was right there? I can't believe you. Mary, Martha, oh, we like that now? Remember you was like putting your hair all on my feet? Right? Worshiping me and stuff? But now I'm, I can't rise the dead. I can't, right? He didn't, he didn't come at her like that. He didn't go and just browbeat her and say, look, you're wrong. Your theology's messed up. You've been with me way too long. You should know who I am and what I'm about. You've seen the miracles. You've seen the things. He didn't hit her like that at all. He was merciful to her. He was merciful to her. And he said, hey, verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So he took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this, and I love that. <laughs> you, can, you know how I love, I love when Jesus is street in the Bible. And look at that. You know how, you, you, know how you, you be doing that? We be doing that in prayer sometimes, right? You know you want to say something to somebody? And so you wait until you praying for him and you start preaching about what you want to say. It's like, why don't you just say that to me, bro? You ain't got to be talking about in the Lord name of Jesus. I pray for his attitude. Right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Jesus is like, look, I'm saying all this, but I don't need to hear it. It's for y'all. Right. Tell you kind of mad. He's like, man, I can't believe this. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. I don't need to hear this. Looking at y'all, clowning. Y'all need to hear this. Crying and stuff. I get it. Be sad. But man, at least let me write the narrative. If I want him to stay dead, cool. At least I did it. Like, let me write the narrative because I had the power to keep him dead or to make him alive. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps. You guys, imagine this. Okay, this is history. Check this out. And his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, I'm, now you see the picture? This is, this is crazy. So you, 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 wrote a, you wrote a thing back. It's smelling. All right? I was listening to one talk. Dude said, actually in the King James, it says, stinketh. Isn't that funny? So um, he rose out, and, and what's interesting to me, it's not some cartoon. This is real. He was wrapped up. He was, he, was, he was dead. So guess what? When he rose him from the dead, fully body, he still had the wrappings. So he just walk out like, hey. He probably was like, <laughs> I'm keeping it right. He probably had to hop out a little bit. He probably was like, <laughs> Right, and that's why Jesus is like, can y'all take this stuff off this dude? Got this thing still on his face? If he could have done it, you think he took his hands and went like, man, whew, whew, whew. he was bound. Right? Can you imagine? You come alive, and you like in this nasty tomb, it stink. you like, mm, mm, you see everybody? You know what I'm saying? Right, this is what's going on. See, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget this had stuff happen. And imagine what would happen on your block. 
You wrap a dude up, he dead. You know what I'm saying? And then somebody come up, and only Jesus, hey, he alive now. But can I say something else, family? I think there's something that the author's trying to show us there. Because imagine those, those ladies coming in, the, 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 it's rolled back, the, the rock is rolled back. He hops out all jacked up. They've been mad. Can you imagine the range of emotions they've had all this time? The range of emotions. Go there with me. Go there with me in the first century. See this. And all of a sudden, they see their brother hopping out of the tomb. May I propose to you that them unbinding him, taking the thing off his face, taking the, the wrappings off his legs so that he could walk all those things. I would propose that was that was clearly external and very and very historical. May I also suppose to you that it was also symbolic. May I propose to you that as, as they took those things off his face and they took the wrappings off his body, that at the same time, the scales of the lack of faith. And all the anger and all the stuff fell out of their eyes. And the joy, can you imagine the joy? You're going, man, I, you, know, you ever felt like you, 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 didn't, you doubted somebody and then you find out the truth and you just feel real dumb? You ever had that moment? And you just be like, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Jesus. Oh, yeah, I forgot you, right? You can do it. Can you imagine their face? Can you imagine what God was doing? I'm proposing to you. The, the, the bindings wasn't the only thing that fell that day. I want to propose to you that a redeeming pass of pain and hurt. I propose to you, family, a redeeming past of pain and hurt. Can you just imagine the healing that the Holy Spirit was doing in them as they just saw their brother just come out of the tomb? Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? And Jesus didn't go, I told you, dummies. Right? He didn't do that. He said, hey, I'm buying him. Let him go. Let him go. You talk about a flagpole moment. See, here's what he was doing. He was preparing them. Why? Because they were going to experience something even greater when they saw their Savior, who they thought was all that, be beaten and mutilated and have a big cross on his body and have to walk through the streets just barely, almost naked and and just massacred and, and being murdered right before their eyes. And yet they had to look at their, their, their gracious Savior up on a tree and yet think, oh my goodness, he's reigning right now. He's preparing them. He's like, and guess what? We still know all of them doubt it. But he was trying to, he said, I got to get you, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to put some deposits in your emotional bank account because it's about to go down. I got I to gotta, I gotta help you so that you can, when you're sad and think I'm going to go fishing and all this stuff, guess who was there? The disciples there too. Remember, now he centers what I love he does. He centers the story around these ladies. I want to propose that's a historical issue we can't get into right now why he does that. Very strategic for all the doubters and haters, by the way, because he's saying no one, sadly, in the first century will respect the, the, the story of, of, of something of such magnitude to come from ladies because we were so mis- misogynist and jacked up in the first century as we are now in different ways. 
And so Jesus does something so dumb and crazy again that only only people who tell the truth could do. <laughs> he says, I ain't going to make something up. Ladies saw it first. I'm going to tell you, ladies saw it first. And everybody go, that's not strategic. You always tell a good story. You got to put the brothers first. He's like, no, no, no. I ain't trying to tell good stories. I'm trying to tell the truth. He redeems the past, family. He redeems your past, family. There's nothing you've done. And all the stuff in you, he's saying, I got this. Here's, a, here's another thing he does, though. He answers, this, he answers the question by moving us toward a, a future hope. And this is this question. Is there life after death? Verse, uh, Job says in, in, in chapter 14, verse 14, if a man dies, shall he live again? See, this resurrection, it does a lot. He answers this question here. The beauty of Easter, guys, he answers this question. Is there life after death? death? Absolutely, yes. The beauty of Easter is that he took tragedy of a, of a murdered Savior hanging for you and me to, to rescue us. He took it and he took it and, and made it triumph to launch what? To launch not just, oh, now you save from your sins, but to launch a whole new creation project. To launch new creation into the world. Notice I said he is not just saying he saves you from your sins, even though he does that. And that is a, that is a magnitude unlike any other. But he does something more. The resurrection, guys, in the mind of these Jews, was they were longing for this to happen. They were hoping that this would happen. They were hoping one day they would be released from the pains and, of Rome and, and all these emperors and all this stuff. They were hoping that God's kingdom and Israel's dreams would be realized. But they never thought that it would burst into reality just like this in Christ now. They never thought it would happen in the now. That in real life, God was doing what he said he would do in the millennium. When we're all, when God comes back, we thought it would happen. And he says, no, that new creation, that new life starts now. And Easter, Easter is a reminder that if you are in Christ's family, if you are loving God, what God did for Israel in the Exodus, what God did for Lazarus, as you just saw when he rose from the dead, and actually what he did for Jesus Christ when he rose Jesus from the dead as the first fruit of our resurrection, he says, I'm going to do in you. This bursting of new life begins. This new life I'm talking about begins on Easter. Is there life after death? Absolutely. (sighs) I just want to tell you, the freedom, the life, all the stuff that you want in life, God is saying you can have. This is what Easter is all about. Easter is, a, is an answer for you and me. It's saying all that you desired, all that you hoped for, God is saying you can have in Christ. Now, can I say this, guys? The popular belief, here's a, now hear me here. Now, guys, my band, Chris, you cool. Hear me, I want y'all to focus, okay? Chris, my man. The popular belief, hear me here. The popular belief is that Jesus died, and the good news is I get saved. Okay? And I always want to talk about this because I'm going to be faithful. Um, God is freeing me to go to heaven. That's what we think. I would propose he's doing that and more. That you are, you are settling. And that that's a minimal view of understanding what God is doing in his world if you think he just died on the cross just for you. He died on the cross for you. And we as humans are the headliners of what God is doing. But guess what? He died for all of creation. Let me read some scriptures to you. Verse Romans, uh, Romans uh, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 20. It says, 
For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Some of you, this is the first time maybe you've heard this. But I want you to understand holistically what God is doing because it matters because we're not God. And God hasn't made us just so he can just kind of pamper us. God is doing something way bigger than you. Way bigger than you. You're a part of it, but you're not it. Look what the scriptures read, verse 20. For the creation, write it down in your address, Romans 8, verse 20, all the way to 23. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Basically saying, that's just a lot of theology to say that, man, creation itself, the trees, when you see the typhoons coming out, when you see sadly hurricanes killing people, that's creation groaning, saying, man, we are jacked up just like you. But one day, God is going to make us new just like you. And it's actually saying, right, it's a creation, it's an anthropomorphism, right? It's actually have creation talk and creation doesn't talk. We all know that. But the whole point is that creation is saying, just like the children, we can't wait to see what happens to the children of God because we know something's going to happen like that with us. For we know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grow inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sons and redemption of our bodies. You see that? The same kind of deal is that God is saying, hey, I want you to understand this project is better, bigger than you. It's a beautiful thing. We're the headliners. We're creating the Imago Dei. We're made in the image of God. We remind God of himself. We are the ones who can, with intelligent volition, worship God. Nothing else in creation can do that. We can choose to say, yes, God, I want to love you. Or no, God, I don't want to love you. Everything in creation has to be what created, how God created it to be. We're the only ones in creation who God has created us to worship. And we can choose to be dumb and not do so. So I'm telling you, we are the headliners, but we're not it. Why is that important? Why, why am I going there? Because I'm going to show you something bigger. Guess what God is doing? When you see the evil world and things are jacked up, and you look in our lives, we go, man, I just feel that this brokenness is all over the place. Like, and you start to wonder if God, if God is reigning and, and is this real, right? And then God, what he does is he, he, he gets murdered for your, for your sake, right? And he saves Andrew and he says, I'm going to make you my people. And you're going to go and you're going to go out and continue to let people understand my new creation project, that I'm doing something free in the world, that God has his people out here preaching the gospel, telling people about God's love, hoping people understand that they're creating God's image and that they can know and, and, and understand and experience God's love we're doing all those things and then jesus comes back and he fulfills all things and he he makes all things new and he takes heaven that sphere that we can't see and he takes creation the sphere that we're in and he merges them together and he perfects them and he makes them new and now you have creation being what it's supposed to be and you have new creation and you have you have you have animals and you have humans and we're all doing and being finally who we're created to be and guess what god can say i was faithful i was faithful that there's nothing happening Anything. You ever felt like that? Like, man, something's so broken it can't be fixed. You ever felt like that? Let me tell you something. Satan's job is for you to walk around and go, man, there's something God made and it's just not good. What God says is what I'm going to do with this world is I'm going to remake everything so you would understand that there's nothing I've made that's not good. And I'll be able to look at Satan and say, you're a liar. I'm the truth. And everything I said I was going to do, I did. That's why it's important. It's a re- is it were new creation is a reversal of the fall. God said, you thought you had me? No way, dog. Reversing the fall, new creation. 
So he doesn't destroy the world and say, oh, it's so bad. We're so evil. Flesh is so bad. We're going to get rid of it. And now you're going to be this floating old Casper ghost floating around in heaven with God. That's not what he's doing. Right? Satan wins if he does that. No, no, no. What he's doing, he's saying, no, 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 no. Your bodies are jacked up. You do have asthma, Eric, but one day you ain't going to have asthma. Hook them lungs up. Okay? One day he says, I'm going to make everything new. And so your bodies are going to be perfected. This world's going to be perfected. And all the decay will be decay no more. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I went, well, oh, not really. Um, uh, okay. And that's how we, we okay. one, more, one more thing. Okay. That, that's what we talk about. What heaven will be like. You ever had that people be like, you know, like we do that. Well, what's, what's heaven going to be like? And we kind of start imagining stuff in our flesh. You know what I'm saying? And I want to propose to you, it's going to be some of those things, but it won't be like that. It's going to, it, 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 the Bible prevent, presents kind of a, a creation that, that kind of mirrors what it's going to be, but it's significantly, significantly transformed. And you even see this in, in the scriptures. And the most, the, the most beautiful part of seeing it is in Jesus. Like, think about when he, when he rises from the dead. Okay, guys? Ver, verse 19 in John, what does it say? It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors begin uh, being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they're scared. They're like, what in the heck? I mean, Jesus died. This is crazy. Right? Came and stood among them. This is Jesus, right? Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Imagine that. And remember in Luke 24, they, they're walking down on Emmaus and, and he's walking with the people. And he's talking to them. He's like, what y'all doing? They're like, you don't know. Where you been? You, man, our, our Savior just got murdered. And he said a few things. They're kind of like, Jesus? And with the picture there is that Jesus is giving you a picture of what does it mean when you see him being glorified. You see his body being made new. Is that there's something that resembled where they could kind of see Jesus, but initially they couldn't. His glorified body allowed him at some level to be able to walk through doors, but yet eat fish. Right? I mean, he's eating fish. It didn't fall on the ground. It was some hologram. Bodily resurrection is what the first century you always understood it to be. And that's what Jesus shows us it is. And then he's showing us, as it were, what you're going to be. See, that's, see, that's, that's a future hope. That's exciting. I had a, a lot I was going to read here, but I'm not going to go there. So, is there life after death, family? Yes. There is life after death. He gives us an inheritance, guys. I'm going to... I would... Write his address down. For the sake of time, I can't even go there. I want to. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, uh, which talks about the inheritance he gives us. And I'm just trying to help us understand that heaven is a reality, but it's a sphere that we can't see, but it's a vellum. It's like it's here before, but we can't see it. And God talks about preparing our inheritance in heaven. And I just want you to mess that verse up. He's not, he's not saying you got to go to heaven to get it. Okay, as it were, I'm proposing to you that the Bible teaches in Revelation 22, all throughout Revelation, Daniel, I can, we can go through, is that heaven and earth will merge. God will make it new. When he says, well, why does he say it's, uh, you know, uh, he's preparing a place for you in heaven? Well, I, I, I liken it to, I heard, you know, it's like if my wife is saying, baby, you know, you're coming home from, uh, from, from working late, you know, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to prepare a meal for you in the oven. You know what I'm saying? When I get home, the meal is in the oven, but I don't go and jump in the oven to eat it. Right? I take it out of the oven and I eat it. Right? I'm proposing to you, yes, he's preparing, he's preparing that sphere for us, not so, so that he can bring it and provide it for us. Does that make sense? Pray on that. Send me an email. Um, 
this says a few things. It says God is good. God is faithful. We already talked about that. I'm just going to move on. I'm going to provide you something though. We talked about the reality that man, there is life after death. You know something that we need to hear as people though? I think it's a question that many of us have a lot of times and why we don't come to Jesus because we don't believe there's life before death. Do you believe that there's life before death? First Corinthians and then we're going to go home. 50 verse 58. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, verse 51, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. All the way down to verse 58, just look at this. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Here's the thing. He's saying because of new creation, what God has done is he's making it really clear. He, why does he talk about this? You, the stuff you're doing is not in vain in, in a bunch of resurrection texts. It's because he's telling you and me that everything you do because Jesus rose from the dead is, is, is meaningful. It's, it's, it's not just you just walking around and just kind of counting your time. But God has he saved you, not just for you to be saved, but so that you and me can usher in this new creation project. You and me can tell the world about who God is, that you and me can actually be on mission with God. That's why we do this as a local community. That's what, and, that, and I propose to you, that's why I said in the beginning, we should be the most jubilant, crazy people in the whole world because you and I have, as it were, been repurposed for why we live. We live to exalt Christ. We live to tell people about the hope we have in Jesus. We live to experience that, that new creation hope that we have in the future, even right now. I love he says um, that, that every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? There's that, re, that reality that, that, that we live between the now and not yet. That, that basically who Jesus is and what he's going to do, we live in between that. And we get to usher people into that reality. That's the call of those who love Jesus. We're, we're a resurrection people. We're an Easter people. We're a people who God has ushered a new creation. God wants us to, to live a life with that motive, with that mode of operation, knowing that, man, a risen king has saved me. I love when we sing that song. A resurrected king is resurrecting me. That is so theological. That is so serious. Think about that stuff. We, we have a great Jesus who has redeemed our past. He has given us a purposeful present family and he's given us a future hope. Because of that, you should live life victoriously. You should enjoy Christ and make Christ known. Let's respond with our tithe and offering.